Well, we're starting a new series uh, today called Overcomer. Uh, that is the title of the series, uh, subtitled Finding Hope in the Midst of Uncertainty. So we're in uncertain times. We're finding hope in the midst of those times. And so that's what we look for. Uh, years ago, when I first started the church, I remember I wanted to be authentic. I wanted to be transparent. I wanted to share the struggles and just be Greg. Not try to be somebody that, that is putting on airs and, they, and, and people looking at, oh yeah, there's the pastor. Or they put him on a pedestal. Sometimes we put people on a pedestal. And I didn't want to be that guy. I just wanted to be Greg. In fact, I struggled whenever people would say, uh, hey, pastor. And I'd kind of go, you know, I'd be looking for the guy that used to be my pastor. I thought, oh, he must be around, right? And then I realized, oh, no, they're talking to me. I, I'm now got that title. And, and I, and I, but I didn't want it to be something that, that became more than what it should be. That it's simply someone who is a, a, a shepherd, someone who is a sheep himself. And so I, I was transparent in my messages and I made sure that people knew, hey, I'm flawed as well. And, and I had a guy come up to me, a good friend, and, and he said, Greg, he says, I love your transparency and, you know, everything that you're doing with that. He says, but, you know, it, it, we need to see you overcome. We need to hear the stories about how you're overcoming some of these things and not just the struggles you face. And it kind of ticked me off, you know? You know, I know I'm supposed to respond non-defensively. Oh, yeah, thank you very much, you know, for, you know, slamming me. And, uh, <laughs> but I realized he was right. I mean, after I kind of got over my own pride issues, I realized he's right. I need to share. We love overcomer stories, right? We love it when we hear about somebody who overcome. Uh, I, I read just this week that Lou Gehrig, who was the famous New York Yankee, sorry, uh, Texas Ranger fans or Boston Red Sox fans, uh, the famous, <laughs> now I got an amen. Uh, uh, the famous uh, New York Yankee, he, he was terrible when he first started. He, he didn't even make his neighborhood team. And I was thinking, wow, how, you know, this overcomer story, we, we, we love those. We love to hear those. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, and I just uh, I just went blank on the name. I think it was Woodrow Wilson who couldn't read till he was ten years old, and then he became president of the United States. Um, and I just think here he overcame that deficiency of how he started out in life. And I think when we look at Scripture, we see a lot of overcomer stories. We read about them where they start in a very negative place. Even King David in a place where King Saul's trying to kill him. And, and he's, he's out just tending sheep at first. And then Samuel comes along and goes, nope, 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 to all his brothers. And goes, this is the guy. And he didn't look like he was going to be a king. And then all of a sudden he had to run from Saul because, you know, Saul wanted to kill him. And, and, and you just think, here's this guy who just, we love hearing those stories. And the thing that I want you to know is your name, one of your names as a believer in Jesus Christ is overcomer. Did you know that? That is one of your names. And here's how I know that. Uh, if you'll look at 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5 specifically. And in verses 4 and 5, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I mean, that's the way that verse starts out. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So 
this born of God idea, if you are born of God, you are an overcomer. That is who you are. And I think that many times we think who I am is I can't. I'm not able. I'm insufficient. It can't happen. I mean, all those are names that we think in our head of who we are. And we need to put those and throw those away. That's not who you are. In Jesus Christ, if you are born of God, notice that it says, everyone. For everyone, not for some, not for the pastors, not for the clergy, not for the praise team. Everyone born of God. overcomes the world. You are, by nature, by your new nature in Jesus Christ, overcomer. What is your name? What is it? It's overcomer. That is who we are. And don't ever let your, whatever's playing in your head, tell you, I can't. That needs to go away. You are and overcomer. That's who we are in Christ. And, it's, and the thing that we need to understand is, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the challenges, that's who you are. Even in the midst of COVID virus, who are you? Overcomer. Even in the midst of financial difficulties, who are you? Overcomer. That doesn't mean that you won't get the virus. Doesn't mean that you won't necessarily struggle financially, even have to declare bankruptcy or whatever. You're overcomer because you're in Christ. And everything that we have in this world is going away anyway, right? We're not taking it with us. And so when we look at that, that's who we are. We are overcomer in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of financial difficulties, in the midst of social upheaval. We are overcomers and we need to understand that. There's a thought in our heads you know, as we're separated here, as we're wearing masks, and that we think we want everything to go back to what? What's the word? Normal, right? We want everything to go back to normal. What normal? Normal for the 5th century? Normal for the 15th century? I mean, it's changed, you know. Normal has moved around. And it's moving around what's more. What normal, what we knew before is going to be different. It's Abbey normal, right? It's going to be new normal. It's going to be something very, very different than what we've experienced up to this point. We started these uh, churches. There were churches that didn't even have an online presence before this COVID thing. Now everybody has an online presence, right? And they're telling us, when I, the stuff that I'm reading is, is that when you go back to normal... You better keep the online presence. It better be just as robust as it has been up to this point. And we need to keep focused on that and remember the people at home as well as the people here because we're all the body of Christ and that doesn't go away, that doesn't change. And so normal's gonna look different. We know that it's taken a mental toll on folks and in the mental toll, what are we? Overcomers. There's going to be depression may already exist in you, especially as you see some of the numbers going back up and you just kind of go, oh, not again. What's going to happen this time? How is it going to work? It's already been tough. 
fear of catching the virus, financial fears, frustration, as mental health issues, Zoom meetings, enough said, right? Agoraphobia, people are afraid to go back out into public, go into public places, go to, I mean, the first time they open it up for fans in a ball game, there's going to be some anxiety, I think, to go along with the excitement of it happening. This is uncharted territory for many of us. And yet, if we're going to be an overcomer, when we look at all these things that I've just mentioned and more, the thing we need to look at is not problems, but opportunities. The minute we start talking about opportunities during this season, opportunities for the gospel, churches that were never online or online, people that, that weren't listening uh, in all parts of the world, now listening to some church that they, maybe they'd never listened to before, and all of a sudden God grabs their heart through that, and I just go, wow. There's opportunity here and, and we need to jump on it and we need to praise God for it and we need to not be looking at just this negative, big, hairy negative thing. We need to be looking at this incredible opportunity that God has given the church to speak up, to voice, to be a voice to those who are in need, to be a voice to, to injustice, to be a voice to, to, for Christ, to be a voice of, of, of following the Lord. And I just think, wow. When we think of overcoming, and I'm, kind of giving, I'm, try, I'm trying to give you perspective here before we jump into the text. When we think about overcoming, we typically think of barely making it, right? Simply surviving, and that's overcoming. And that's not the verbiage in the passage. It's talking about victory. It uses a Greek word that refers to victory. That's what overcoming means is victory. And in fact, the word that's, that's translated victory in the passage, it says, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, is the exact same word uh, in the noun form as the overcomes, overcomes, overcomes in the passage. Three times in two verses, it mentions overcoming. It's not a small thing in this passage. And it's not meaning barely making it. It's not meaning faking it like the old Simon and Garfunkel song goes, faking it, not really making it. You remember that? If you don't, well, I just gave my age, didn't I? And you might want to go listen to it. Great song. Because um, I think that that's what we do. I think well, we tend to, to fake it. We tend to not think that we're, we're just going to barely survive and we're going to just kind of be you know, injured and damaged, but man, we survived. And it's like, no, when Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fiery furnace, they were not singed and they didn't even smell of smoke. And there was a fourth one in there with them, like the son of the gods. I think it was Jesus. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fire, Jesus was there. And they not only survived it, they came out with this opportunity to communicate to the king that they had already told whether God protects us or not, let it be known to you, O king, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image which you set up. He got enraged his face even changed he throws him in the furnace and then he's begging him to come out hey guys come on out let's let's talk right i think that that's what god wants for us his people not just feeling like we're just surviving this thing that we're overcoming that we're victorious in him and that we come out in every way 
praising his name. In the first century, when John wrote this, you know what the circumstances were around this letter? He wrote in about 90 AD, if the numbers, if they have the dating right on that, and I think they do, because there's certain things that he doesn't talk about that he would have if, if uh, they had happened already. Um, but one thing that we do know is that Jerusalem had fallen already in 70 AD. The temple had been destroyed. Now, do you remember the question the apostles asked Jesus in Acts chapter 1? They were all excited. Here's Jesus. He's come back from the dead. He's resurrected, right? He's getting ready to ascend from heaven, and they're not really wanting that to happen. I'm sure they're kind of hanging on to him, you know, not wanting him to float up or wanting to go with him if he does. And I'm just, you know, that's just my Greg Buckles version there. And, you know, when I look at that, I think, here's the question they ask before Jesus. We know the answer. We've memorized the answer. uh, But you uh, remain in Jerusalem, and then uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth, right? We know that one by heart, missions verse or whatever. The question that they asked was this. Is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, the kingdom, are you going to set it up? Not only did he not set it up, obliterated the nation in 70 AD. I'm sure there were some people scratching their heads, struggling in their faith, going, wait a minute, what is this? This isn't the kingdom being established. It seems like we're going the wrong direction and Jesus was here. What's going on in our faith? He wrote this five years before uh, Domitian began to persecute the church. And they needed these words because of the persecution they were getting ready to face. God gave them this, gave them his word, helped them to understand, you're going to face some very fiery stuff. And you are an overcomer. That's who you are in Christ. That's who you are in him. John was also dealing with some theological issues, and you'll see that. We'll talk a little bit about that, especially in what's uh, the person of Christ. They misunderstood Jesus. They, They were struggling with how he could be fully God and fully man. They were struggling with the fully man part. They, they thought God can't become incarnate because if he takes on flesh, fleshes, and they bought into the Greek idea of matter as being evil. So if Jesus became matter, he's evil, so therefore he couldn't be God taking on evil because God can't take on evil. And so they were struggling with this issue. How can he become incarnate? How can he come in the flesh? How, if he comes in the flesh, could he truly be God? And so he's dealing with that issue and he deals with that in this, in this letter. And you realize that they're dealing with very deep theological issues. You know, in our day, we deal with deep theological issues as well. In postmodern thought, what we used to say for the gospel isn't really taken in in the same way. In fact, I heard Ravi Zacharias, uh, he was doing a, you know, he died recently and he was one of my heroes of the faith. I love his, his brilliance. Uh, we're going to miss him greatly as a church. Um, he made the statement in a message that I heard a couple of weeks ago by him that he gave to Liberty University. And, and, I, and apparently he said this before, but the first time I'd heard it, he said, we have a generation of postmodern thinkers who uh, see with their, uh, they, they hear with their eyes, 
and they reason with their feelings. And I was like, whoa, how do you, what is, what is that? He said they, they hear with their eyes. In other words, they don't want to just hear the gospel. They don't want to just hear what a Christian is supposed to live like. They want to see it in action. They want to see us involved in our world, making a difference, doing meaningful things with what we believe. He said they, they hear with their eyes. They reason with their feelings. The theology and the rational things that we talk about have to be felt. And I was thinking, wow, what a far different approach that is from the time of rationalism where it was just, you know, give your points, it's reasonable, and somebody goes, yep, that makes sense. There's more to it than that. I heard um, um, Tim Keller do a message recently. It was something that Matt Stevens had sent me uh, about uh, uh, talking about how to preach the gospel to a postmodern world. And he was, and in this, he was talking about how in his parents' generation, and I was figuring maybe in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s, sometime around that, because he, he said when he first started preaching, he realized that the meaning of life, according uh, to people in the 70s, uh, and I just put 70s and 80s on this, is to be good. You want to be a good person. The trouble is, is we realize we're not good people and so we, because we struggle with, uh, with things, there are things that we do that aren't so good. And so Jesus gives me forgiveness. And that was the, the, the focus of the gospel. It was the forgiveness of Christ that we receive in him. Then he said, when he moved to New York, Tim Keller, the thing that he began to talk about because he realized people were being influenced by modern uh, philosophy. Rousseau and others, and that you needed to, the meaning of life was to discover your true self. And so you wanted to discover who you were. And so it wasn't, uh, if, if, he, if you go and say, hey, you're a sinner and, and therefore guilty, they're like, I don't need that. And they would have walked out and said, I don't need somebody telling me I'm guilty. But he said, he's, he's, he began to talk to him and said, you know, you move from middle, middle America and you move to New York to become actors and actresses and work on Wall Street. And he said, what happens is you're, you're becoming, you're having a new master. You're becoming slaves and you're, you want to be set free because you think I discovered my true self. I'm set free. And he said, no, you're not really set free. You're actually enslaved to your weight because now you've got to keep the, a certain uh, size so that you can get certain roles in, in the movie industry. And, and so you're not free. You just have a different master and, he, and Jesus comes to set us free. And so the focus that he had in his church where he moved Manhattan from having uh, only about a couple of thousand known believers to over 50,000 believers uh, in evangelical churches uh, was, was through focusing on the part of the gospel that, where Jesus sets you free. Well, he said, uh, and, he, and, and the, question, the guy that was interviewing him said, you know, what about now? He says, well, he says he's retired from Redeemer and he's not preaching anymore. And so he says, you know, I haven't done it. He says, but here's what, what I feel like that the, the new focus is. And he'd have to remake his, himself again in a sense. He would have to focus on a different part of the gospel. And that is the focus today is to create my true self. 
And so people say, well, I, I, I am who I identify myself as. And then they get mad at people if they don't uh, accept that identification. And so you see people getting mad at each other uh, uh, because they want people to embrace that. And so there's this, also this open-minded justice orientation. He said, now the interesting thing about that, he says everything that he's reading talks about how when somebody gets to that point where they're, they're trying to create their true, their true self, is they're create, it's, it's based on, it's very performative. Everything he's reading says it's based on performance because you're creating a new role for yourself. And so you've got to follow this new role. And, and so he said the, the focus of the gospel here would be that, uh, 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 is that uh, Jesus gives us our identity. My identity is not achieved it is received. Who I am is who Jesus says I am. Like the song that we sing, I am who you say I am, not I am who I say I am. And so this, this, this idea that we can't live up to whatever it is that we, and, and so I began to realize how, how many times the gospel addresses the social issues. It addressed the social issue of Jesus' day that they were struggling with, uh, uh, or in John's day, when, it, when they're struggling with Jesus can't be matter because matter is evil, and yet the gospel addresses that, and the gospel addresses each of these issues in a powerful, powerful way. And so when I look at John and I look at what he's saying about us being an overcomer, and I look at this passage, I realize he's addressing our need. He understands our need because he was facing those things. He was facing a great upheaval in people's thinking because Israel had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed. He was facing theological issues, and I was thinking, wow, he very much identifies with what, we are, what we're dealing with in our world that there are theological issues, there are social issues, there are struggles that we face. And being an overcomer is very necessary to all of them. And so we look at this, this passage and we look at the, the, what, we, what I just talked about in uh, 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now there's some, a few things that we need to look at here to understand some phrases. The, the, the phrase has been born is a perfect tense. Now you may say, okay, yeah, grammar, whatever, right? Well, grammar's important. Has been born, perfect tense means it, it happened in the past and it has ongoing effects. So we have been born of God. Well, who's the ones that's been born of God? Does, does uh, John tell us? Yes, he tells us in the very first verse of chapter five. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So he makes it very clear. You're born of God if you believe in Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people in our world who say, well, I believe in God. Well, that's great. I'm glad that there, you know, a person believes that there is a God and that's a first step. But scripture is very clear. New Testament is very clear. It's faith in Jesus that's key. It's faith in Jesus that counts. It's faith in Jesus that saves. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved in Acts, it tells us. And so we know, we, we know there is only the name of Christ that saves. Amen. Amen. And, and so we look at this and we say, so John is saying that. In fact, you, you read through 1 John, he makes it very clear that's the key. Um, I just gave that one verse, but you can go to other ones even in 1 John. So whoever has been born of God, 
Now, that idea of born of God, he, he takes that through, the, through this um, book as well. We see it in chapter 3 a couple of times. We see it in chapter 2. We see it in chapter 4, this idea of being born of God. And, and I think about, here's the same author who wrote John 3.16, right? It's the Apostle John. He's got Nicodemus in the garden. And what did Jesus tell, tell Nicodemus? You have to be born again. Not just born physically, born spiritually. It's a spiritual birth, born of God. Of God has that idea of, of, of a spiritual birth. And so that God wants us to be born again. He wants us, our spiritual lives to become enlivened. Enlivened. He wants them, us to have a spiritual aspect about us. And it's so easy during these times, during our lives, to just get so focused on the physical, we forget there's a spiritual. And in fact, I remember during my, my dad's generation, uh, the great generation, uh, he made the comment, he says, I don't talk about politics or religion because it just causes fights. And I was thinking, wow, Satan built into our culture during those days not to talk about religion which means we don't do the very thing that he does in the scripture, which is talk about spiritual things. And we find ourselves nervous about talking about spiritual things. We're afraid we're going to misspeak or whatever. That's how we learn. We need to have these great conversations where we, where we dialogue back and forth. And it's not an argument. It's, it's trying to understand who God is and who Christ is. That we have this spiritual nature, born of God, overcomes. The word there, overcomes, used three times. And in fact, you, you look at this and you say, uh, uh, it's used three times. And it's also used in the word victory in the noun form. And it's the word Nike. Some of y'all may be wearing Nikes, right? You know what Nike means in the Greek? Victory. And in fact, there was a goddess whose name in the Greek... Uh, pantheon was Nike. And so whenever they, he uses this word, I'm sure that some of his readers go, you know, are you talking about the goddess here? No, I'm not talking about the goddess. It's not this goddess that's going to give you victory. It's Jesus. It's being born of God. That's where victory comes from. So overcomes the world. Now we could all come up with our own ideas. In fact, it's amazing how many times people, I'll talk to people and they go, I say, well, what does he mean by the world here? Well, I think, well, what does John say elsewhere in the passage? Oh, I don't know. Uh, and so what we find ourselves is, where do we find John's understanding of the world? From John. So let's look what he has to say about the world. And in fact, we're going to go in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he makes it very clear what he's talking about when he talks about the world. He's talking about the, the, our, our lusts of our flesh. He's talking about when we're desiring what somebody else has. He's talking about our own pride when we become prideful. And so his, his focus here is, is those things. But his focus is also, we know, that um, the evil one, it says, uh, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one in, in chapter 5 and verse 19. And that's a scary thought until you go back a little bit to what he said before in chapter 4. And he says, he who is in you 
is greater than he who is in the world. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be afraid. Anytime that you find yourself fearing darkness, fearing difficult things, fearing, you need to stop yourself and say, wait a minute, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And then you may need to memorize James 4, uh, 7, which says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's all we need to do. Submit ourselves to God and resist. And then God takes care of the rest. And Satan has to flee. He can't hang around. And so we look at this passage and we think, I have been born of God. Uh, that being born is ongoing uh, uh, in its effect. It's overcoming. It's having victory. And it's over the world, my flesh, those lusts, over my eyes, desiring what other people have, over my own pride that I uh, put myself above others. That I can overcome in all of those areas. I can overcome Satan himself, the evil one in this world, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We need not fear. We can. We can overcome. We are named by nature overcomers. And then he goes on. So he focuses. This is something that's needed in these three verses. It's a process. Overcoming is a process. It starts with receiving Jesus as our Savior, being born of God. That's step number one. Step number two, our faith. It says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. That's where our victory is found. Not only the faith that we had in Jesus that caused us to be born again, but our ongoing faith, a continual uh, faith that continues to work, continues to process in our lives. I was uh, reading about uh, George Mueller of Bristol. I love that guy. If you've never read uh, that, uh, his biography, I encourage you to do that. Uh, he had in his orphanages in England over a thousand kids, and he didn't believe in telling people what the needs were of the orphanage. He just wanted to trust God. And so for a thousand kids, he was just trusting God. And there were days, and in fact, one in particular, that he shows up and there is no food left to feed the orphans at that day. No food, zero food. They show up at the table, and he has all the kids sitting there, and there's nothing on the table. I mean, can you imagine that? And he says, we need to give thanks to God. And I'm sure there was some grumbling among the orphans, right? I mean, they're like, for what? What are we thanking God for? And so they, they bowed, and they thanked God for the food that God was going to provide for them that day. And then got a knock on the door, and while they were sitting there praying and it was a baker from down the street. He just felt led the night before to begin to bake bread. And he just baked a bunch of bread and brought it to the orphanage. And there was a milk wagon that had been going down the street. And the milk wagon broke down. And the guy knew that he was going to lose all of his milk if he just sat there and tried to repair the thing. And so he took all the milk to the orphanage. And they had bread and they had milk. All they could, all they could eat. All they could drink. And I was just thinking, wow, what a, what a man of faith. He, here's what he said. This man of faith that many uh, people have been inspired by. He says, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say, and I say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. We should take them out of his hands as evidences of his love and care for us in developing more and more that faith which he is seeking to strengthen us in. 
Wow. God uses these things as the food of our faith, to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith. Uh, like the guy who, who prayed, and when Jesus said, do you believe? He says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yeah, we still struggle, don't we? Doesn't mean the struggle goes away, but we believe and that we wanna grow stronger in our faith. We wanna en enjoy the victory that we have found in him. I love Hudson Taylor, who was uh, um, a missionary to China. He started the China Inland Mission uh, until 1949 when he was kicked out of China. And I believe that a lot of people that in China today that are true believers have their heritage going back to guys like Hudson Taylor. He was, uh, had an evening where he was supposed to be speaking at a, at a, a seventh street schoolroom, And, it, and, and the person who was hosting said, you know, it's, it's stormy tonight. I don't know if anybody's going to show up. And he says, I'll go if even the doorkeeper shows up. And he went, he spoke. There were only about a dozen people there. And yet about half of those became missionaries. Or as I read, it said, or gave their children as missionaries. And I went, what? I must not have liked those kids. No, I was, you know, <laughs> here, you can have my kid. Uh, no, thanks. Uh, I mean, it's like, what? You know, I mean, but I, uh, sounded awfully convenient. And it says, and the rest became faithful supporters of the China Inland Mission. That God used even those times that we go in spite of feeling defeated, in spite of feeling discouraged, and we realize we have a God who loves us, who cares about us, who wants us to grow in faith. That third phrase, he says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. There's the theological issue, right? I want to read just a few of the passages. And I think that, uh, uh, if you can put those up there, if I have them on my, my screen there, uh, in first John four, one through six says there, um, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone forth into the world. And then he goes on and says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, the incarnation. He says that is key. Verse 4, overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And you think, okay, so the world, who is the world listening to? Well, he goes on in the next verse and says, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. In other words, the world's not going to be listening to us to a certain degree. They're going to struggle with what we believe. Um, you think about who Jesus is. He is the, the son of God. And, it, and he is the Christ. You see that through, through this as well. He is the one who was to come. He is the one who was to die for our sins. He's the one that Isaiah talks about. And so what's our takeaway here? Our takeaway is we need to live and pray. We need to live a life of faith and ask God into our world. He goes on and talks about that in chapter 5 and verse uh, 14 where he says, And this is the confidence that we have toward them, him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. In other words, if we're asking him, and if we're asking according to his will, we don't always know what that is. But if it's according to his will, he's going to say yes. 
And so that we look to him, that we believe in him, that we live a life of faith. It's a life of faith that's overcoming. I think so many times we're afraid to let God work in our life. We're afraid to let him be the one that makes a difference. Him to be the one that makes a change. Him to be the one that, that, that transforms us. Um, I was thinking, and I'd like to close it with this illustration. There was a guy named Felix Mendelssohn. You know that name? Famous classical composer. Felix Mendelssohn had, found, uh, had wanted to play the organ at a cathedral in Freiburg. And so he, he goes to, to, to uh, talk to the organist, and he says, hey, I would like to play the organ. And, and the guy was like, hey, it's my organ. You're not touching it. You know what I mean? He didn't know who he was. And then he finally let Mendelssohn sit on there uh, on, the, on the bench and begin to play, and he began to play. And, and the guy goes up and goes, who are you? And he says, I'm Felix Mendelssohn. And he goes, wow. He says, I had nearly refused to let Mendelssohn touch this organ. And I was thinking, how many times we're so afraid to let God touch our life? Because we're afraid of what he's going to do, what he's going to ask of us. Know this, God is good. God loves you. And through him, you are an overcomer. Let him work in your life. Believe him. Trust him. Invite him to engage in the world that you are involved in. And then watch him work. Father, we come to you this morning. And we look to you, we trust you. And yet we also admit that we're a little bit afraid. We know that we don't always understand our world around us. It's a world with postmodern thought. And we struggle with that thinking that we have the gospel, and we do, but not realizing we may have all three types in our congregation. Those who are trying, the meaning of life is to be good. Those who the meaning of life is to be true to themselves. Those who the meaning of life is to, to uh, create their true self. And Father, we know that the gospel applies to all of us, every one of us. Help us to learn how to communicate your word in a way that reaches our whole culture and not just part of it. Father, help us to be those who listen to those who are around us and who invite you into those conversations, invite you into those relationships. It's a little scary, Father, to think about living by faith but Lord, you call us overcomers and you want us to overcome in a big way, to experience victory in you. And so Lord, today we come and we pray that you would help us to understand what overcoming means for us in our lives here in this pandemic, in this time, in this season. And Lord, I pray that we would look to you, trust you, I pray that if there's someone here that has not taken that first step to be born of God, I pray that they take that step. I pray that if there's somebody online at home that hasn't taken that step, they take that step. To be born of God, to believe on Jesus, to receive him as their savior. Lord, I pray that for those of us who have, that we would 
live by faith. And Father, I pray that we, you would help us to understand who Jesus is in fact, that he is the Son of God, that he is deity, that he is divine, that he is the, the Messiah, the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is our God. We look to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.